Hello and welcome to episode 206 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox in Los Angeles. I am in Los Angeles. Yeah, how's it going? It's going good, dude. Um, the weather is starting to cool off here, which is nice. I don't mean to bring the weather up, but it is helpful that uh, it's not so blazingly hot as it was like even just a week ago. Yeah, even here, I get in in like a mood. It doesn't happen very often, but we get like a couple weeks where it's just like stifling kind of. Mm. And it just sucks. You just don't want to do anything. You go outside and just, I don't know, everybody's all agitated and stuff. So we're coming into the best part of the year, definitely, right? September, October are the nicest yeah. times of uh, year everywhere. So that's great. Yeah. We have some exciting things on the show today. We're going to talk about some LSAT writing issues. I don't know necessarily what that's referring to, but that's the writing sample portion of the test. Someone has a question, is the October LSAT too late to take? Pearl versus turds. We always like to jump on advice and say whether it's good or bad. We have a listener update. Someone is not going to law school. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Good. Glad to hear that. Um, hope everyone else joins you. Prep test 71, section 2, question 9 is our next logical reasoning question, and we'll tackle that at the end. This will come out on Monday, August 19th. That's about a week and a half away from the July LSAT scores. For those of you who are still waiting, we're still reminding you. <laughs> um, the October LSAT registration deadline is September 10th. So that's, uh, looks like about two weeks after your score comes out. So you have some time to think about that. And then the September uh, LSAT is on September 21st. So, hey, Ben. I was just about to start ranting about how they really need to tighten up these deadlines. Mm. Like there's just no need for an October LSAT registration date on September 10th. Mm. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, and the scores need to come out faster and they need to get more civilized with these registration dates. I was going to rant about that, but then I was reminded of the fact that um, I've had multiple people complaining to me about not being able to find a testing center uh, for the October LSAT. Have mm. you heard about this? I haven't heard about this. I've seen people posting like there's no open testing centers in New York City. I had for someone October. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, I had someone uh, emailing me saying that there were no uh, no testing centers open in the entire state of Utah, and I'm just hypothesizing, of course, but it now that they are entirely on their own bank of tablets <laughs> that they had to purchase and maintain, like that now they might actually be cutting down on the the uh, the number of testing sites that are available. It makes sense. No, it does. Uh, it's a cap, right? You can't. <laughs> just willy-nilly print 10 more <laughs> tests everywhere, which would be quite a substantial increase in the number of test takers because that's 10 more tablets everywhere. Yeah. Which would add I, up quite quickly. Yeah, it seems like the cost of their decision to take this whole thing in-house, and it also makes me think now that I'm talking about it, it makes me think like, well, of course, they started offering it more times per year. Because now they can get more use out of their tablets that they bought. Interesting. But they also are going to have to necessarily restrict the 
number of testing centers because it's a lot harder to distribute these tablets around the country than it is to just distribute paper tests around the country. Wait, are you suggesting that the number of times that they offered the test per year was not offered as a means to help students? <laughs> to make the to make the LSAT more inclusive and uh, whatever other bullshit they're coming with? Uh, yeah, I guess I am making that I really want to get it behind the scenes and, and understand why they decided to create a very complicated system when an easier system was in place. I mean, we talk about this all the time, but I was just listening to an audiobook this morning and they were talking about how GM in 2002 was obsessed with uh, regaining 29% of the market share in the United States or at least North America. And um, they had not seen that market share since 1999. So this is three years later, you know, they had lost market share because uh, Asian car makers were just killing them here yeah. in the U.S. And uh, they decided that they were going to regain their traction and get to 29% of market share. And the way they did this was they offered huge bonuses. So you buy a car from a dealer, you have to pay $30,000, but they will send you five grand <laughs> in uh, you know a couple weeks if you mail in your rebate. So whatever. they cut their price, basically. They cut their price, but the way to keep their deals with the dealerships and stuff like that was to keep the price up uh, but then just pay themselves directly out of pocket, right? They're like, okay, we'll pay you to buy our car at these places. Mm -hmm. They also do that because a lot of people don't follow through on those rebates, even though there may be $5,000, right? Yeah, it's a way to give a $5,000 discount to the people who really care about it, but it only costs you $3,000 because a lot of people don't bother with the paperwork. Yeah, 100%. And <laughs> there are a lot of loopholes. Samsung apparently had a loophole where you had to there could only be one rebate per address oh, and God. they, and they applied that to apartment buildings. <laughs> Dicks. Yeah. Wow. The, the FTC got involved with that one. Yeah. Said, good. No. <laughs> wow. But anyways, the point I'm saying all this is that, um, GM was so obsessed with hitting that number 29% that they, they ended up losing $500 per car that they sold in 2002, 2003, or whenever this time. Yeah, but you make it up on volume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you lose money, and you do more of it. <laughs> yeah. So that's one of the reasons they went into bankruptcy. And it's just like, um, okay, so... Here you have a bunch of executives, I don't know who, in a room, and they're all obsessed about this number. Like, and you end up hurting yourself. You're not accomplishing your, like, what, why did you obsess about that goal and not the actual goal, which is profitability? And same here with LSAC. It's like, what, what were you so focused on that you, like, had to create a whole new system? It's like they reinvented the wheel to deliver the digital LSAT, and nothing's really changed except now you're looking at a screen instead of on paper. It just doesn't make any sense to me. They were paranoid about security. It's like that that one uh, LSAT logical reasoning question where the hospital administrator comes back from a conference and there was a com you know computer systems engineer who who told the audience that uh, the the most pressing concern for hospitals was uh, like data privacy. Hmm. 
Yeah. And it was like, wait a second. <clears throat> like that's the computer expert's opinion mm-hmm. that we have to, that the hospital, like the number one thing they should be thinking about is data privacy or whatever. Sure. But like, did you ask a emergency room surgeon? <laughs> what their biggest concern is. Yeah. For <laughs> Cause sure. she might be like, uh, no, <laughs> we got people coming in here with their heads split open. Like <laughs> we got other things to worry about than that. No one cares about their privacy then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It's only one person who gives a fuck about their data <laughs> when their <laughs> brain is leaking out their head. Yeah. <laughs> is this confidential? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, Hmm. They were really concerned about security, I guess. So whoever was concerned about that had the loudest voice or somehow won that internal debate. So yep. It's crazy. Yep. Well, you can always email the show at help at com. Send us your selfies. Uh, you can hear the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, and our lovely website. Thank you, Sarah. com. By the way, Sarah has gone to law school or is in the process of walking to law school as we speak. We're very sad to see Sarah go, but I'm thankful for all the wonderful things she did for the show. You can leave a review for us on iTunes. That's always very helpful. And this is new. You can leave us a voice message on Anchor. So follow the link on our social media. Uh, Do people have to download the Anchor app? How does that work? I don't think so. I think it's on our website as well. Um, And there is a link on all of our social media that Annalisa sent out. I'm not sure if we've gotten any uh, voicemails yet. But uh, (laughs) by the way, when you do that, you're giving us the right to use your voice on the show. I hope you understand that that's how a podcast works. That if you send in a voice question, the whole purpose of doing that is that we're going to use your voice on the show. So if you would like to become uh, LSAT famous, you can uh, drop us a message and uh, (laughs) we will uh, play your message on the show and then um, answer your question or mercilessly roast you as the, as, as required. Why did you say, or why did you say, or and, 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 or, Sometimes people don't need to be roasted, but most of the time they do. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to those interesting messages that we're going to get. I can't wait. I think it's going to be funny. I, I, I really do think. I mean, we have funny listeners, so I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be good. Now, let me, let me make it clear. Don't try to be funny. Just send in your question or your comments or whatever. Don't, don't, make it, don't do a five-minute comedy monologue. But just yeah. <laughs> by oh, short is better for sure. Yeah, please. Short and concrete. Yeah, ask a question, make a comment, do whatever you want to do. But like shorter is much more likely to make it on the show. Like if you send in a five minute thing, it's probably not going to make it. And please do not say tips or tricks anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Cool. So we have this. Um, Oh, this is one of my students. She, yeah, I love uh, this. She, she wrote in, she said, Hey, Ben, I just watched the reading comprehension strategies for single passages video. I tried the translate each sentence and predict strategy, dot, 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 all caps. And it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, don't, we generally uh, disapprove of all caps, but hey. Not when you're giving us a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I did two passages and only went back to the passage twice. 
I got all the questions right, and both only took about nine minutes. I will see that the first passage and the questions were really easy, but the second one was all level three and four questions. I've been consistently getting 10 questions wrong on the RC section while only attempting three of the passages. I am a lot more hopeful now and just wanted to say thanks for the great videos. Um, thank you, Priya. She followed up and said that she had continued to use these strategies, that is, translating each sentence carefully and then predicting where the passage is going from there. And saw success with uh, her next reading comp section as well. So She should call Malcolm Gladwell and try to give him that advice and see if he'll <laughs> buy it. I yeah, mean, that's true. Like For those of you who are scratching your head, like before you fire off an email asking for us to specify the translate and predict strategy, the translate and predict strategy is basically read the sentence, understand what it says, make a prediction about what's going to come next. It's also known as read carefully. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, you know, most people, they don't actually read their eyes are going over the words and they, but they've got this monotone thing going on where they're not actually engaging. And so what Priya learned to do was to just like sit with each sentence and make sure that it made sense before she moved on to the next one. Mm-hmm. And a good test for that is to predict what's coming next. This is literally a thing that they teach to like second graders about reading comprehension is that, Hey, did you know that the words have meaning and there's a thing that's going to come next and you can very frequently predict what's going to come next by what came before? Mm-hmm. Oh shit. You mean it all has, it make it has meaning. Wow. And so that's, and I'm definitely not busting Priya's balls here because like she, she's, she did it. Like she figured it out, but it just, you just got to take that extra moment to sit with it. And then it starts to like actually make sense. You know, I think when when you say things like second graders, that's where some people probably say, "Oh, that's condescending," blah blah blah. But there there is some value even in thinking about that for a half second. How many people right come to us and they say, "Hey, I'm scoring in the one fifties, and I got I got reading comp down. That makes sense to me, and I just need to work on logical reasoning and games in particular. I just really can't do the games." And I always like listen to them and I'm sort of like, yeah, you're right on some level. You're getting more points wrong in the games and you're missing a lot of points in logical reasoning and you might be missing fewer points in reading comprehension. But this sense that you've got it and that reading comp is something you've been doing your whole life and it makes sense to you or they're puzzled, right? They're like, I'm not doing as well in reading comp as I'd expect. I know how to read. It's like it might be valuable to take yourself back to when you were in second grade or (laughs) middle school or whenever you were struggling with reading and realize that you might need to struggle again because you're not actually, you're taking reading for granted and reading is a process and it's not something that just happens. It's like they, 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 they like pull their eyes over the sentence and they're like, it clicked or it didn't. And when it didn't, it's the sentence's fault. No, it's not the sentence's fault. It's your fault. Yeah. I mean, yeah, to some extent, it's the sentence's fault. People can be horrible writers, and the LSAT likes to write things horribly, but they still are writing things that have meaning and can be translated. And so you've got to up your game, and you got to get back into that second grade, fifth grade, seventh grade mentality of like, okay, I don't know how to do this. Let me try harder and let me actually engage until I understand that sentence and then move on. It's almost like when I tell people sometimes, not everyone, most people actually are very receptive, but some people it's like, 
you need to stop and think about what that sentence means when you're done reading it. And there's some people, it feels like they're like, what? You're like, you're talking to me like a child. I know what it means. No, you don't. That's yeah. why you're not getting these questions right. Yeah. It's like, what do you, th- I go, what do you think about it? Yeah. And they're like, huh? I'm like, well, do you agree? Do you disagree? Huh? Huh? It's, I don't, it's fine. I'm like, why do, we, that's why not do I need to enough. disagree? It's just on the test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you need to, oh, that's what I'm talking about. You need to engage with the thought. I mean, ideally, you're going to have an objection. Yeah. I, ideally, you're, if you're going to be an attorney, you need to object to your client's case just as strenuously as you're going to object to your opponent's case because mm-hmm. you've got to be able to argue both sides or else you're going to lose. So, yeah. When you're reading reading comp, like even if you're sympathetic to the to the speaker, even if you're you know you 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 basically agree with with their thesis, you should be trying to poke holes in what they're saying. You should be saying, well, oh, all right, but maybe not so fast. Like, what about this you know consideration? What about that consideration? And if you can do that, you'll realize that you're predicting the answers to all the questions. You know, I wanted to make one more. Um, I think you're I think you're right about what you just said, but another maybe reason why people come to the LSAT with like not the right reading mindset. Mm. I think colleges do a bad job. I think colleges are giving sort of exorbitantly long reading assignments. Mm. Yeah. And then not actually requiring people to, to understand what they read. Right. We don't have the system of like oral exams in the U S where, (laughs) <laughs> like they do in Europe where you actually have to understand things, right? Yeah. Here it, it, we have It's totally acceptable to say it was about <laughs> right or or just to not even do 90% of the reading that was assigned to you. Yeah, that's true. Right? Like they they're, they're like, "Here, read these six books and then write a paper." And it's like, "Okay, well, how many of those six books am I actually going to read that much of?" And how you much know? do I need? Like right. you read one chapter of one of those books, that's going to give you a ton of information. That be, may be enough to write, write some your, thoughts your, down. Write your whole 30-page paper based on, you know, yeah, the first half of one of those six books or something. Yeah. And I just, I, I do think that's what's going on. I was yelling at my class in LA this over the weekend. I'm like, hey, guys, th- these reading comprehension passages, are there, they're only like 60 lines. Yeah, 15 sentences. Yeah. You, you don't get to not understand 60 lines and 15 sentences. Mm-hmm. The section's called reading comprehension. They want to know whether you can read these 60 lines and comprehend it. 15 sentences. Can you comprehend 15 sentences? And then can you do that three or four times uh, in the course of a 35-minute passage or a 35-minute section? Like the, you, You're going to have to actually dig in there and really understand what they're saying. Like What do they want? Why do they want it? What are their reasons for whatever they're trying to sell you? If you don't come away from the passage with all of that, you're going to just struggle brutally on the questions. Yeah. Or just think it's easy, skim the surface and miss them all. That's the other thing that people do. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, I recognize Priya's name because Priya has been faithfully using the ask button inside of the demon. Oh, cool. And uh, so, hi, Priya. Hope, uh, hope you've been getting your questions answered in a timely manner. I really want to encourage demon users out there to hit the ask button. Hmm. Uh, I would almost go so far as to say, if you're not hitting the ask button, I don't think you're studying properly. Yeah. 
even if there's an explanation, right? If there is an explanation, it's almost like your question should become more targeted, more Yeah, and we can nuanced. tweak the explanations. We can make them a little bit better or a lot better. Now, if there's not an explanation at all, I mean, and that's the case too. Like when there's, there's, there are still a lot of questions that don't have explanations and we're hard at work on them, but you got to ask us for them so that we can bump them up to the top of the priority list and get, get you out an explanation. If there is an explanation and it doesn't make perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, all you got to do is hit the ask button and ask a, a, an incisive question. I mean, tell us what you don't understand and we'll, mm-hmm. we will make it better. Mm. I hope my LA class is listening to this because they just started over the weekend. But like when we do a test in class or when we do sections in class, there's not time to review every single one of those questions. Mm-hmm. And I know that the people had more questions. And so I sent them away with homework to, you know, click the ask button. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's good. a few days later now and I don't think I've received a, a single click. Mm from the ask button. So I, you know, it's like, Hey guys, it's on you. Like you, you know, I want to help you, but you got to tell your teacher what you don't understand. You have to humble yourself a little bit and you have to hit the ask button because yeah, just, you know, Ben, like people think they got it, but they don't got it. hundred (laughs) percent. So, so ask us for help (laughs) because that's what we're here for. Yeah. Um, and the demon is set up like very nicely for that. So hopefully we'll we'll start getting more of those requests. We've been keeping up so far. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, nice work. Let's take this one from Jackson. And Jackson, by the way, is someone who took my class. So this is cool to see. I think he's also a demon user now, so that's great. It says, Aloha. When I took the LSAT writing, the instructions said that the response would be submitted automatically once time ran out. That is not the case. LSAC is letting me redo it, but FYI, click submit. Mahalo, Jackson Makanekeoe. I don't know about the last name. I'm better at Makanekeoe than I am at Grube? Grub? I don't know. Jackson, you're going to have to tell us. Maybe you could call Anchor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Call Anchor and pronounce your name for us. (laughs) That's awesome. So, Jackson, I have to admit, like, (laughs) <laughs> why Why didn't you hit submit? <laughs> yeah, I'm scratching my head on that one, too. It's like he was so exhausted after doing the writing sample. He's like, whew, thank God I don't have to hit the submit button. <laughs> it's automatic. <laughs> I mean, understandably, if they told you that, I could see someone just kind of finishing and then being like, okay, I'm oh, done. Oh, wait. But I have a better hypothesis. Okay, go for it. He just you, he, he decided to, instead of hitting the submit button, he was going to just work all the way through the full 35 minutes. That has to be what it was. So then he couldn't what happened? Have just ri- well, he just worked all the way through the 35 minutes and then like time ran out and he never hit submit and then it just didn't work. You think it didn't work after the 35 minutes? I mean, people got to go to the end of that clock all the time. E- so then a submit button ought to pop up and say, oh, okay. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, I don't know. I'm scratching my head over here. I'm trying to figure Jackson, out how what really this... happened here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'd love to hear your call. You can clarify your name and the details of your Defend incident. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, if one person did it, probably 100 people did it. So little PSA, you, you do have to hit the submit button. 
Also, so, uh, go for it. Oh, a demon user asked if we would ever have a practice writing sample on the demon. And my gut you know, reaction this is interesting. was, no, why would we do that? But <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> my gut reaction <laughs> is uh, you shouldn't spend a lot of time on this, but if we just took one writing sample from like a recent test, we put it in the demon so that in one of our cor- lessons, right? Because we have the course that we're working on right now. And then we wrote a writing sample. I think that'd be pretty badass. It's like, here you go. This is how a good writing sample looks. If you have any doubts as to how to structure this, check this out. Um, yeah, uh, have fun doing that. I we can um, <laughs> come on, help me out here. <laughs> well, we have we we have already lots of videos about how to do the writing sample, and the fact that it's digital doesn't change the method for how to write the writing sample. Yeah. So I'm perfectly happy to post an example of a writing sample and post all those videos that we have about how to do the writing sample. Um, I don't know that it, it certainly doesn't need to be incorporated into the demon with a timed thing and all that, does it? No, I, I was just thinking one of the lessons, but I like the idea of an example to just like make it concrete. Cause people still have follow-up questions sometimes with those videos like, Oh, what about this? It's like, look, this is what we're talking about. Here you go. Yeah. Take a look at it. Let's talk about the lessons a little bit. You want to take that? Sure. So we are adding lessons weekly. Um, the lessons involve videos, written text, and then clips from the podcast. We also have a tool in there that prompts you to do specific questions that we've identified in the lesson. And it will just take you to the demon drilling section. You do that and then you just close out and you go right back to the lesson and continue learning. So um, those, that's how do for people access users. the lessons? Yeah. Yeah. So some of those lessons are available for everybody, not very many, but uh, every lesson that we are adding is available for premium users. And so eventually, once we get the whole thing built out, it's going to be an LSAT course, uh, an online LSAT class that incorporates the demon, and it's going to be just the only thing you're going to need. That is 100% correct. And we're slowly integrating the lessons with the questions as well so that there's basically a seamless flow between lesson and practice problem. And that way all the questions will be in your study history. The demon will learn from your mistakes even when you're doing the lessons, all that whole thing, right? Exactly. Sweet. Move on? Yeah. Hey, guys. I thought I would be ready for September, but I didn't sign up because I didn't feel confident or ready. Okay. I want to apply early, but I think getting the best score may be more important since my GPA is a 3.1. You know, um, yeah, totally. getting your Thank best you. score is more important, period, right? Regardless of your GPA. Always, 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 always. Yeah. Everyone needs their best LSAT score regardless of what your GPA is. If you have a 4.0, you need your best LSAT score so that you can go to fucking Stanford. Yeah. If you have a 3.1, well... The ship has probably sailed on Stanford, but you it still need sailed. your best LSAT score so you can go to the best school you can get into at the best price you can get. I guess it's human nature for people to think that there's like some sort of trade-off, but lawyers, you know, real, you need both. <laughs> you need all, you need everything you can possibly get. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anonymous listener, you, you do need your best LSAT score, but it really has nothing to do with your GPA. Yeah, getting your best LSAT score is like hitting a home run. 
You hit the home run and then you trot around the bases. You go to, you go do your personal statement, you submit your applications, you're a little bit late, nothing matters. But if, if you don't get your best LSAT score, then you got to run, you got to pay attention to everything that's out there. <laughs> you try, you got to try to steal bases to get noticed, right? It's, it's downhill once you get the best score you can get. Can I use another analogy? Go for it. I like that one. Getting your LSAT score, uh, your best LSAT score is also like uh, showing up prepared for trial. Mm. Yep. Like maybe you had to get a continuance or two or three. <laughs> maybe you had to work a few nights and weekends, but you eventually got the goods and you built your case and now you're ready for your trial. Uh, applying to law school is your trial. And you just shouldn't go into that trial until you really have your shit together. Mm-hmm. Getting your best LSAT score is getting your shit together. Yeah. And you know, I was thinking about this as you were talking, like these two analogies are apt in some way, but they fail in another way. And that is if you don't get your best LSAT score and you go to law school and you take on way more debt than you need to, it's like, you kicked a rock that's now going down a, a totally different hill. I mean, that's a horrible analogy, but it's <laughs> like, it's, you've set yourself on a totally different path than if you had gotten the best score and then really leveraged that score and gone to either the best school or the, the, the cheapest school you could in your situation. And in both of those cases, if you go to the best school you can get to, if that's what you want to do and you don't care about price, then great, you're opening up opportunities in that way. If you go to the cheapest school that you can go to, hopefully for free, then you're also opening up opportunities because you're going to be in the top of your class and you're going to be you know, not ridden with debt and that affects decisions. So when you think about your life for the next 20 years, because maybe you're only in this career for 20, 25 years, even if you kind of limit that, what do you, how, how do you want to start this out? What kind of path do you want to go down? I don't know. Um, the next question is, do you think taking the LSAT, the October LSAT is too late in the cycle? No, for two very important reasons. One, as we were just saying, you should get your best LSAT score. Um, actually, so there's three, but the first assumption that I want to knock out of the way is that you don't need to apply this year. Yeah. Right. And the second assumption, which is probably more important than the first, is you don't need to apply to law school. So, like, if you end up delaying, yeah, you don't need to apply to law school. So, a lot of people, I think, get in, they get sucked into this situation where they're like, they have to take the October LSAT, even if they're not ready, or September, or whatever it is, because they're like, well, I have to go to law school, assumption one, that's not necessarily true, and two, if I'm going to go, I need to apply early in the cycle, which means I need to apply now. It's like, no, you don't need to apply this cycle and you don't even need to apply at all. So if you end up delaying a year, that's not the end of the world. And if you end up delaying a year and in this year decide not to go to law school, that's also not the end of the world. It may be the best thing for you. So stop with all the like pressure. Yes, it's better to apply earlier than later. It's better to apply before Halloween than later, but that's assuming all things equal. That's assuming the same LSAT score. But if you can get a better LSAT score or apply next cycle, those things could be better than applying early now with whatever score you have. Yeah, and we're talking about three or four points makes you a different candidate 
in entirely the of the different. law school. So yeah. anonymous. Oh wait, no. Yes. Anonymous. Uh, it's just not even a valid question. Is October too late in the cycle? We hear this question all the time. You're not the only one who asks this, but this is yeah. just not a valid question. Do you take you it have, when you're ready? Just take yeah. it when you're ready. I do don't care you have is. your best LSAT score? Do you have the best LSAT score that you think you're going to ever achieve? And that means even if you had to wait another six months or nine months to prepare for the LSAT to get another five points, if you think that's impossible, then okay, then you know, you're ready to apply. Like you, if you have the best score or you don't, you haven't even taken the October LSAT yet. So, you know, we don't know until the score comes back, but if that score comes back and it's the best score you can possibly get, then there's an argument to be made for applying this cycle. Yeah. But if it's not the best score you can possibly get, there's a equally powerful, it's a far more powerful argument to be made for just waiting another cycle. And if this is pressure that's coming from like your parents or whatever, that's okay. But I mean, are they paying? If they're paying hundred percent, then I guess, you know, you have to sort of listen to them. But if they're just going to be disappointed in you or whatever, because you, you waited another year, who cares? It's your money. Like you're going to have a lifetime of misery paying this debt back. Well, and disappointment, by the way, just a side note here is comes in different forms. So if you, if you say to your parents nicely, kindly, lovingly, look, I've thought about this a lot and I want to do the best I can for law school and for my career. And so I've decided to wait, take the LSAT one more time in January or whatever it is. And then I'm going to apply next cycle. And I'm doing this because this is going to give me the best chance to succeed. And they still say, look, no, 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 you need to take it now. You need to get this out of the way. And you say, I'm sorry. No, people respect that. They may not respect it in the conversation, but when they go away, they're going to be like, damn, I've taught my son or daughter something. They can stand up for themselves and what they believe in and what they want to do. And I've got to let go at some point anyway. <laughs> right? This is all good. This is good stuff. I mean, especially if they're not paying. <laughs> like if you're if you're 21 <laughs> and you're on the your parents' dole and they're like, no, we want you in law school right now, then then okay. Like you gotta do what they say. But if you're if if they're not paying for all of it, I just don't it's a it's a real bad plan to just let them pressure you into ruining your entire financial future. I don't know. Even if they're paying for it, I, I still feel like you got to take ownership for your decisions in, on some level, right? At least so, then it's their money. But I mean, yeah, you you could hopefully you can still have a your frank time. decision with them. Yeah, and and maybe you can convince them that it would be a much better use of their money to wait, right? Like, hey, mom, dad. Thank you. I'm glad you care about me. Thank you for supporting me. But, you know, if I waited another cycle, I might be able to save you $100,000. Or, you know, if I waited another cycle, I might be able to get a get into a much better school. Yeah, let's spend your <laughs> 150 grand on a a top program rather than a no-name program here in Nebraska. I hope we haven't led the listeners astray by constantly talking about how important it is that you apply early in the cycle. I mean, we want to make it clear that that's if all else is equal. All else if is equal. You, you have to have your shit together. You have to have the best LSAT score you can get. And if you apply with a mediocre LSAT score, 
Like if you knew you could do better, but ah, it's, I, just, I can't wait another cycle. That's just not like a lawyer type of a behavior. It's just not like, it's just a bad start to your legal career. Agreed. Cool. Pearls versus turrets. Unless you have anything else to say about that. Nope. Let's do it. Oh, wait, sorry. Anonymous says I signed up for a free trial of the demon and have already noticed an improvement. The explanations after each question are extremely helpful. Cool. That's awesome. Um, Yeah, keep keep grinding. I mean, (laughs) the demon has, there's, we have 9,000 LSAT questions to study. 9,000. Like, are you perfect on the logic games? Because there's 360 logic games in the demon. Mm -hmm. And if you do all 360 of them over the course of the next year or, you know, nine months or whatever it is, if you do, if you do 90 practice tests in the next year, I don't think you need to do that many, but you certainly could. It's hard to see how you don't improve your LSAT score by five or 10 points. Yeah. And, and if and you, especially <laughs> if you're consistent about it, right? Every yeah. day or every other day, hit well, it. You're going to have to be consistent about it if you're going to do 90 practice tests. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like that's going to be two tests a week for all. I just don't a year. want people to be like nine months and then they like do these like spurts. No, this is like small stuff consistent over time. Yeah. One section a day. Mm hmm. Maybe a full test on the weekend. Don't even have to do that all the time if you don't want to. One section a day, thoroughly review all your mistakes. Absolutely change your life by improving your LSAT score by, even if you only improve by five or 10 points, you have changed your life. You're going to get into dramatically better schools. You're going to get dramatically better scholarship offers. You're going to potentially make yourself $150,000 by doing that work over the next six months or year or whatever it takes. Yeah. And you know, you're, let's be honest. Most of you are not going to be making that kind of money when you come out of law school. You can make a hundred thousand dollars right now by just improving your LSAT score by 10 points. It's not that hard. We see people improve by 10, 15, 20 points all the time. Mm -hmm. And you'll totally change your life. So just definitely do that. Don't rush into anything. Law school will always be there. All right. This is some advice from Khan, huh? Yeah, Khan Academy. So Pearl versus Turrets, right now we're at 4.17.10. Four wins, four pearls, essentially. Ten, no, no, 17 turds. <laughs> 17 turds and 10 ties. Yep. Okay, what's Khan Academy telling us? Well, it says, according to a 2006 survey of 157 United States and Canadian law schools conducted by the Law School Admissions Council... LSAC. Almost all use the writing sample to help evaluate at least some applications for admission. Failure to respond to writing sample prompts and frivolous responses have been used by law schools as grounds for rejection of applications for admission. What's the advice? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it's respond. Make sure to respond. That's it. (laughs) Yep. Well, I, do, have we suggested otherwise in any way, <laughs> shape, or form? No, yeah, I, I'm not sure how this got onto the pearls versus turds agenda. It's, it is, it seems basically trivial. I mean, I, I will say this about the writing sample: some people, I guess, think that you can just blow it off. You definitely can't blow it off. Like you have to do it. Yeah. Um, 
if you don't do it, like now that it's decoupled from the actual LSAT, now that it's a, a take home thing, right? Online at home. You thing, have to do it. Um, if you don't do it, they just won't even release your, your file to the schools. So you do have to do it. And if you're going to do it, you might as well just do a, a decent job at it. I mean, if you watch our 15 minute videos, those will be up in the lessons very soon in the demon. If you watch the, if you watch the 15 minute video, that's absolutely everything you need to know about the writing sample. I do think we should do a podcast episode about this, Ben, if we haven't done it already, we could just incorporate it into the lessons anyway. Sure. Um, but you, you got to just do your best for 35 minutes. It's super, super formulaic. It's super simple. The first sentence and the last sentence are like ultra formulaic. Once you understand the point of the, the, the prompt, the, the details of the prompt change, but the, um, the specifics of the assignment, the, the actual assignment itself never changes. It's like always the exact same thing. Just like, Hey, your client has two choices. There's pros and cons for each choice. You have to pick one and advocate for that choice over the other choice. Even though there's not really a right answer, you have to like pretend that there is a right answer basically. And just like try to sell them on one side versus the other. It's really simple. Um, I can't, you know, like people who think that they're just going to not respond or people who think that they're going to use it as like a beg for admission kind of a thing, you know, like an alternative personal statement or some oh, political weird. rant or whatever. Yeah. That would definitely be grounds. Like if I was a law school and I, I read like you're complaining about the LSAT or something like that, I would just be like, yep, next. See ya. Bye. Like instant. I think that this writing sample would be used for instant dismissal far more frequently than it would be used for instant admission. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's probably never used for instant admission. It's probably <laughs> used for instant dismissal whenever, if it's used, it's probably used for that. Yeah. That's my, my hypothesis. I think you're right. It's like the letters of recommendation. It's for, it's your opportunity to fail, not your opportunity to win. Yeah. You get someone to write you a letter who like, doesn't really like you that much or doesn't really know you that well, or, or is, is weirdly related to you. Like not your boss, not a professor, but just, you know, somebody who didn't have any hiring or firing or grading capacity in relation to you. And, and then they just read that and they go, Oh, well that's a lack of judgment. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But no one's ever being like, Oh my God. It's the greatest letter of recommendation. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just don't think that's how that works. Cool. Ty, I, I can't see this as being a pearl. There's nothing, there's nothing to it. It's like, <laughs> well, it the says advice basically is do your respond. best on the writing sample. Yeah. <laughs> Failure to respond. So I can't sure say it's a turd. Yeah, it's not a turd. You wait, you Ty. are saying it is a turd. Oh, whoops. Sorry. It's okay. Scoreboard uh, adjusted. Okay. Tie. So tie. Yeah. Just neutral advice. <laughs> I mean, it's like I read that and I go, yeah. Okay. Well, what else you got? <laughs> it's definitely not Wait, like this a, is backed up by a shit. survey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks con. <laughs> oh, also by the way, you know, almost all of these 157 schools use the writing sample to help evaluate at, at least. least some some meaning one or more. Yeah, we know that from the test. And there. Well, we also know that the schools essentially lie, right? Because the schools are always like, oh, we, we consider all of your LSAT scores. Bullshit. No, you don't. You well, here, care about the highest one. Here they avoided lying, right? Because I'm sure they've looked at it for at least one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure they look at it. They look at your lower LSAT scores too. Like they, they literally see them. 
like they're there on your application, but they're not in the index formula, so nobody gives a shit about them. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Yeah. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm writing to offer anecdotal evidence in support of your don't pay for law school advice. I wrote into this podcast more than 100 episodes ago, episode 69, as basic Lauren Ford slash Jenna. I didn't realize that she had two names. <laughs> when I was studying for the LSAT. Cool. I took the test twice in 2016, first scoring a 159 in September and then a 157 in December. Then I submitted applications to 10 schools to start in the fall of 2017. Okay. At the time, I was working as a paralegal at a small firm in D.C. I had a big T14. Wait, wait, what? I had... I had big T14 and appellate litigation dreams and, of course, didn't get into or couldn't get into any of those good schools with my scores. I was also massively in student loan debt, not even kidding you, six figures in debt from my undergraduate degree. Wow. That's rough. It's common these days. Jeez, so young. Oh, I guess I don't know how how old Basic Lauren is, but um, I'm assuming younger Even though I had foolishly tied up a lot of self-worth in the idea of becoming a lawyer, I ultimately decided that my admissions and scholarship offers would leave me borrowing way too much money on top of what I already owed, and the time spent out of the workforce would effectively cancel every payment I had already made on my undergraduate loans. Yeah. Yep. The schools that accepted me would have limited where I would have been able to find employment after law school, too. So instead... I sucked on my pride. Thank God. I withdrew my applications, moved to New York City to be with my boyfriend, got a much better paying paralegal job in big law, oh, interesting, and got serious about getting out of debt with my higher income. As of today, I am finally debt-free. Holy shit, that's pretty fast. Yeah. That's really fast. Engaged maybe to the same boyfriend, saving aggressively for retirement and setting my sights on saving up for a down payment on a house. Wow. My experience dovetails well with what Ben was saying on episode 184. Not doing well in the ELSA is not the end of the world. In fact, and in fact, for me, it ended up leading to some great things in my life. I've made peace with my decision not to go to law school And frankly, after working in big law and seeing the kinds of hours and availability that associates are expected to maintain, I know that it would have been the wrong choice for me. I have to thank the two of you for your frank and sometimes challenging advice. If I didn't listen to your podcast, I might have enrolled in an average law school, believing that I was special and that things would all work out in the end. So thank you. Basic Lauren. (laughs) She decided she didn't want to be Jenna anymore. <laughs> oh, is that her? That was her actual. That's her name. Okay. And basic. Where did Lauren come from? I don't remember. No, she had. I think she wrote in that she was basic Lauren or Jenna. She said something like, "Call me something basic like Lauren or Jenna or something." Oh, okay. <laughs> so now she's getting rid of Jenna and just saying, "I'm basic Lauren." <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. that's funny. Hey, basic Lauren, you are special. <laughs> just not. Maybe in this particular way, well, I guess, right? She's special for making a very sensible decision. Yeah, that I is mean, special. How many people Jesus. don't make that decision? Her husband and her future children, if she decides to have them, are going to be very happy that she made this choice. 
I mean, she could have turned $100,000 of debt into $300,000 of debt by spending three more years out of the workforce, borrowing another Ugh. crazy amount of money. Ugh. Coming out, she, she very likely could have come out of law school making less money than she's now making as a like senior paralegal. Yeah. And so she, instead of just going deeper and deeper into debt, she just made more and more money, got herself out of debt. Now she's thinking about buying a house. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That is awesome. We can't save them all, Ben. <laughs> and maybe law school is the best thing for you, to be fair and to be true. But you got to make sure you know that that is the case. But, you know, a full ride and or admission to a really great school, mm -hmm. that's such a good indicator of whether law school is the right choice for you. Yep. Like if you get into Stanford, law school is much more likely to be the best choice for you. If you get a, it, it, you know, if you, I mean, if you, Lauren here, if she maxed out at 159 and, you know, 157, and then she just didn't get into the kind of schools that were going to get her to the type of jobs that she wanted, it just, it's a pretty clear indicator that law school wouldn't have been a good call for her. Yeah. And so I just, yeah, I think this is a no brainer that she, it seems very obvious that she made the right decision. That's awesome, uh, Lauren. Please yes. write in some more updates. Oh my God. Yeah. If you're still listening to the show, <laughs> shit, that would be amazing. Like write us in when you make a down payment on a house. Yeah. <laughs> make all the other listeners jealous. I mean, <laughs> there are lots of people who go to law school and then never buy a house because they already bought something of equivalent price to a house. Mm -hmm. It's a piece of paper <laughs> gathering dust in their closet <laughs> or like me going down the trash chute in my old building. <laughs> you threw years away. I, I think I've told this story on the show before, Ben, but I don't remember this. Yeah. yeah well, I don't expect you to listen to me. Why would you? Um, <laughs> I, one day I was like doing some spring cleaning or whatever at my old place in San Francisco and I was going through some closets or whatever. And I had, I found four of those, you know, faux leather pad folio things that they put diplomas in, hmm. you know, those things. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I never framed them and put them on my wall or whatever. Yeah, like I haven't either. They're in yeah. my filing cabinet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I recommend that you do what I did, which was I stacked them all up. That was my undergraduate BS, my two masters and my JD mm. stacking up. I had them stacked up, holding them in my hand. What do I do with these things? Uh, yep. And I just walked out to the trash chute that was outside of my apartment Opened up the trash chute, dropped them down the trash chute, heard them satisfyingly clang into the trash can down below, and never regretted it. <laughs> because what are they? They're a stupid piece of paper. Yeah. No one's ever going to ask to look at that. No one, like, you, <sighs> I don't know. It, once you accumulate degrees, you realize how little they're actually worth. I didn't realize that you had two masters. You're just, yeah. you're just a degree maniac, man. Well, it's called 
it's called not knowing what you want to do with your life and just like trying a bunch of shit, you know, mm-hmm. thankfully I had a full ride for my master's in journalism and then I had a full ride for my MBA. Oh, that's good. And so if it doesn't cost you anything, then shit by all means, you know, and especially if you don't know what you're doing with your life, you're just trying to figure it out. But neither of those things really did anything for me. I mean, none of anything like the best education I got was like my undergraduate degree. My bachelor's was like the only at Davis, a BS at Davis, you know, they made me take some hard classes Mm -hmm. and like, I actually had to try for some of it for some of it. I didn't have to try at all, but for some of it, I did have to try and I actually learned some things in Davis, but looking back, like the, the real valuable educational experiences of my life have been, I don't know, things I learned in high school, shit, the typing class I took in high school, (laughs) Like yeah. actual practical skills, you know? You know, it's funny. Every time I think about typing, I remember I sat in this computer lab. So I went to Gunn High School in Palo Alto, and uh, the computer lab was in the back end of campus. And I had a Walkman. Remember Walkmans? And, yeah, um, sweet. It was this yellow Walkman, Sony Walkman. And Ooh, I had was that a one of the tape. waterproof ones? Yeah, it was waterproof. Yeah, so the black right. thing like latched, you know, and clicked uh-huh. close. Yep. Yep. And I had a mixtape of Rush. And so every time people talk about typing or when my kids do these like typing programs these days, for some reason, I instantly start thinking about Rush. Because that's all I did. I would sit there and type and Rush was just playing (laughs) in my headphones. Didn't talk to anybody, just typed. But no one talked to anybody anyways, because they're all just like focused on typing. I took typing my freshman year of high school. It was the first period after lunch. And I had... um, Ms. Dryden was the was the typing teacher, and she would walk around the classroom going, A A A space S S oh my God. S space <laughs> D D D space. I did that for a whole fucking year. Oh and, geez. Uh, but like I'm a super fast typist. That's good. That's great. Well, it was probably the most influential educational experience of my entire life because ain't no way I would have written six books if it wouldn't have been for that. Yeah. You know, like I'm not, you're not going to be hunting. I wouldn't have been hunting, hunting and pecking my way to like hundreds slash thousands of logical reasoning explanations. Yeah. So that was like an actual practical skill that really did something in my life. Oh, so true. I was just last year, uh, my oldest son was struggling with like writing an essay about something. And I realized that half his problem was that it took him so freaking long to peck this stuff out. So I was like, dude, we got to work on your typing because this is going to be a lot easier for you. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. Like he was thinking it was the writing. It's like, yeah, but you you just can't put your words on paper very fast. So this is excruciatingly painful for you. Yeah. And he learned how to type and now it's just, it's way easier. I mean, still has got (laughs) to learn how to write, but at least that (laughs) aspect is like out of the way, right? It's like, okay, let's just write down what you're thinking and and move on. Yeah, Typing might not be necessary but it's awful close mm-hmm. right i mean it's just hard to do it pencil and paper but typing helps a lot yeah it's definitely not sufficient but it's i, I would say that typing is close to necessary mm-hmm. should we move on yeah let's do it so we're in test 71 this is the test that is released from lsac i oh, shoot what year is it i keep forgetting nah. doesn't yeah, matter whatever. it's no. section two it's logical reasoning, and we're on question nine. And I love this question, by the way. People get it really? wrong all the time, and I think it's got a lot to teach people. Oh, yeah, this one. I remember struggling with this one the first time I saw it. 
I, I guess I think I read it too quickly and I just didn't really even notice the sleight of hand. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then I saw the correct answer and I was like, wait, they did that. But then, yeah, as you sort it out and you go, Oh shit, they totally did. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I do love this question. Nice one. Elsac. Good job. Yeah. Do you want to read it? Hey, I have a proposal for horns. Have I told you about my car horn proposal? Um, no. Someone just honked outside. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Horns are purportedly in cars for safety purposes, right? Uh, In fact, not only purportedly, uh, that's the law. No, I know. Well, I know it's the law that you have to have an operational horn. No, 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 no. no, no. I'm saying it's the law that you, at least in some states in Virginia and D.C., you are not allowed to honk unless it is for a safety reason. Oh, okay. Well, that dovetails nicely with my proposal. Okay. Um, my first proposal is get rid of fucking horns. Who needs them these days? Because how many times have I ever seen a horn used for actual safety purposes? Mm, mm-hmm. Like never anger is not safety <laughs> well, or wait, telling someone up. in front of you to go is not safety. I agree. But I, when I do honk, it's never, I, I might be frustrated, but it's not motivated by that. It's always in, I make a decision about whether or not the person made a stupid move. And then I say, that was unsafe. I'm letting you know. That's my Yeah, you're an East Coast. You're an East Coast driver. So there's there's a difference. Okay. Um, But my my proposal is get rid of fucking horns because all they do is it's a it's just a nuisance. (laughs) All you do is piss off everyone that lives in the neighborhood where you're honking. Mm -hmm. So how about this? limited use horns where you have a horn, but it only works like once a month or three times a year. Mm. And if you go over that, you have to go get a like reset. Hmm. Interesting. Well, okay. So while we're making interesting proposals or Mm -hmm. odd ones, um, what about like you have a <laughs> a monitor on your wheel and if you want to if you want to tell someone the shit you have to directly look at them in the face <laughs> <laughs> It's like hey you asshole and then you realize it's like you know an, an older grandma or something and you're like hi hi I'm sorry <laughs> you know <laughs> how many things would just be like okay never mind Yeah, there's just so much unnecessary honking that is like, it's just road rage. And it just, I feel like it's also Mm self-perpetuating. And if everybody just calm the fuck down, I mean, surely when we finally get the auto drive cars, there's not going to be any need for horns anymore, right? Or the horn is at least going to be, hopefully it'll just be taken over by the computer. Yeah. Oh, I doubt it'll be ever happen, right? I just doubt it. I agree. What auto drive? No, no, I doubt that the the honk. What would what they honk for? Oh, well, when everyone's on auto drive, then yeah, the cars will just get along nicely with each other. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that was a digression. <laughs> Records. <laughs> <laughs> Who's reading it? You? Uh, sure. Okay. So this is question nine, test seventy one, section two. It says records from eighteen fifty to nineteen hundred 
show that in a certain region, babies' birth weights each year varied with the success of the previous year's crops. The more successful the crops, the higher the birth weights. Okay. We could could make a point here that that is what we call directly proportional. Okay. Directly proportional. Yeah, because as one goes up, the other goes up. Inversely proportional would be as one goes up, the other one goes down. So that's a definition that people don't know. We got an ask button question in the demon for that yesterday. Okay. There where you go. someone was ignoring directly proportional. They were like, because it said directly proportional in the argument. Mm. And they were asking, like, well, wait, but can't proportional be either way? Yeah. And so then I had to explain the difference between directly and indirectly proportional. Yeah. So you have inversely proportional or. And then you also have just proportional, and proportional would be direct proportional, right? I don't think so. I think if they just say proportional, I do think that that can be directly or indirectly proportional. Hmm. Okay. I thought it was just the same as directly, but we'd have to see see, examples. Yeah. Yeah. We'd have to see an example of that. I mean, because you can have indirectly proportional, right? Yeah, I wouldn't. When you say indirectly, I, I keep thinking like inversely. Like you either have something is directly proportional, indirectly. I, I don't. Oh, remember. maybe I meant inversely. Hold on, now I'm gonna have to look it up. Fuck. <laughs> I hate when I have to learn things. <laughs> yep, we all do. A directly proportional relationship occurs when x and y both increase or they both decrease, and indirectly proportional relationship occurs when x increases and y decreases. Okay. Do they have inversely proportional? Because I feel like I've seen that on the test. That's well. going to be the exact same thing. Yeah, for sure. As indirectly. Okay, great. So, um, so there are two things here. One is that this is directly proportional. As the crops became more successful, the birth weights went up. The second thing is that this is a correlation. And I would take note of that fact. There's a correlation between these two things, but we have no idea whether there is a causal relationship or not. Yes, totally. Sorry, I was going down a rabbit hole of inversely proportional. It it looks like according to Google, inversely proportional might mean something, or at least sometimes in math, they use it as a relationship between two variables in which the product is a constant when one variable increases, the other decreases in proportion so that the product is unchanged. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that the LSAT usually uses proportional that way, where it's like a, I guess that would be a linear proportion. Uh, this, will, that, this will be interesting because we get, I, I swear I thought I've seen that term on the LSAT. Maybe it was in the wrong answer. But once we get the search feature in the daemon, then we can just search for inversely <laughs> and find all uh, questions that deal with it, right? If at all. Yeah, I'm looking at other um, other definitions are definitely saying that inverse and indirect are the same. So I th- let's go with that because we're not mathematicians, definitely not on the LSAT. Um, but yeah, directly and indirectly or inversely. Indirectly and inversely meaning the same thing. Just meaning a negative relationship between the two variables. Yeah. Directly proportional meaning they either both go up or both go down. Mm-hmm. Okay. The conclu- well, so the next sentence, and there's only two sentences in this argument, is okay. this indicates that, so what we're about to read is a conclusion that is based on the premise that they apparently just gave us. This indicates that the health of a newborn depends to a large extent on the amount of food available to the mother during her pregnancy. Okay, 
So a couple things about I this. I feel like such an idiot for not even seeing it. But now that I've now once you see it, you can't unsee it, right? But that's true. I think a lot of listeners, a lot of not a novices, they read that and they just go, Well, yeah. You just kind of said the same thing twice. Yep. But they definitely did not. They said a similar related thing, but not the same thing. Not the same thing. Yeah. So there there are three key differences here in my mind. The first one is it says that the health of the of a newborn and we never talked about the health of the newborn. We talked about their birth weights. So you have to assume that the the weight, the birth weight of a baby somehow indicates their health. And which commonsensically it does. It's not crazy. It's not crazy, but it's still different, right? And on the LSAT, this is a jump and well, it's an it's assumption. Also, it's one factor. I mean, yes, we, we, it's, we're allowed to commonsensically understand that in today's modern world, like the heavier, heavier babies are healthier, mm-hmm. all else equal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but all else equal does not mean that that's the only factor. Even if we know that birth weight is correlated with health, birth weight does not control health. It's just one factor. So they have shifted from a factor that's related to baby's health mm-hmm. to actual just overall health. Yeah. Okay, good. Excellent. The second problem with this conclusion is this it says, uh, this indicates that the health of a newborn depends to a large extent on the amount of food available to the mother during her pregnancy. Okay, if the crops were more successful the, in the previous year, then yeah, it's not crazy science to surmise that maybe the amount of food available to the mothers during their pregnancy that year increased, but that's Still an assumption. You'd, who knows? Maybe uh, the crops were more successful and they decided to sell off more <laughs> food and use the money to buy Gucci furniture, right? We have no idea <laughs> what exactly happened. Again, it's not unreasonable, but it's not the exact same thing. Yeah, a cruel tyrant just hoarding the food. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. And the third problem with this conclusion, and I think this might be harder or easier to spot depending on how familiar you are with correlation causation, but is the word depends. It says this indicates that the health of a newborn depends to a large extent on the amount of food available to the mother during her pregnancy, suggesting that there's some sort of causal relationship between the success of the crops and the health or the the birth weights or something like that. And we know that they're correlated, but we don't know that one led to the other for all we know, something else led to both. Maybe a warmer year led to more successful crops and uh, for whatever reason, larger babies. I don't know. But the point is is that this argument went from correlation to causation. So those are the three yeah. problems with this conclusion that I'm but, noticing. And I think I caught, the first time I did the question, I definitely caught the correlation to causation thing because I'm really primed for that, right? Mm, mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's what actually prevented me from seeing that they had made the subtle shift from birth weights to health and from success of the crops to food available to the mother. Mm. Um, those are not so subtle shifts once you point them out. But because I was so aggressively 
you know, I'm, I'm so tuned into that correlation to causation flaw. I was like, oh, okay. So this, the answer is going to be, you know, just confuses correlation for causation. Yeah. Then I went into the answer choices and I just didn't find something that like very simply said that. So I was, I was confused. I mean, I think I got it right, but, um, it took me a minute. Yeah. So the question says the argument proceeds by, which I would call this a reasoning question. The LSAT is essentially asking you to describe how the argument was reasoned. How did the author get from her premises to her conclusion? Yeah. What did she do? Yep. And so, as you've pointed out before, you can treat this as a must-be-true question. You can just ask yourself, does this answer choice have to be true? Does this describe exactly what is happening, what I just read, or not? And <clears throat> Nothing would, different, nothing extra. Nothing different, nothing extra, but it can be incomplete. I'm not yes. saying I like an incomplete answer. I'd prefer a complete one, but it's not that big of a deal to have an incomplete answer, but it's a much bigger deal, a very a, a fatal deal <laughs> to have an inaccurate answer. No, I mean, if an answer said it cited historical statistics or something. Sure. That would be, that would be the answer because it did do that. Yeah. So that's fine. It's like what we're looking for here is just something, you know, at a minimum, I know I can prove for sure she did this thing. Yep. I think that's why I didn't like A the first time. Hmm. So answer choice A starts out by saying inferring from, and I just want to talk about this for a half second. A lot of people too, when they're doing this question, they don't realize that inferring from is the same thing as saying concluding from. Inferring and concluding are the same thing on the test. So, um, at least in this context. And so saying inferring from means that we're concluding from a premise because you conclude things, you conclude conclusions from premises. So answer choice A says inferring from a claimed correlation between two phenomena. Yeah, we did have a claimed correlation between two phenomena. The two phenomena were the success of the crops and the weight of the babies. And there was a claimed correlation between those two things. That two other phenomena are causally connected to one another. Yes, this argument did conclude from a correlation about two phenomena, that two different phenomena are causally connected to one another. So that's describing exactly what's happened, and that's the answer. Yep, too easy. I think I just, I remember just blazing right past that because I was like, wait, I'm looking for correlation to causation. What's this whole thing about two phenomena and then two other phenomena? Yeah. But then after eliminating BCDE, then you come back to A and you go, oh. Do you want to read BCD and E and walk through exactly when you stopped reading them? Because that's another thing. If you're you're hyper-tuned into what's going on in the argument, then as soon as one of these answer choices goes off the rails, you're like, that's inaccurate. This is wrong. Out of here. Inferring from, so B says, inferring from the claim that two phenomena have fluctuated together, good so far, mm-hmm. that one of those phenomena must be the sole, I would stop reading it right there. Yep. It did not do that. It did not, it never said that this was the only thing. It said mm-hmm. that they, it, it said depends to a large extent on, mm-hmm. it never said that it must be the sole cause of the other. Yeah, the health of the newborn, yeah. right? Okay. I mean, not only that, but 
it wasn't actually a correlation between two phenomena and then saying one of those phenomena causes the other because it did do that shift from two phenomena to two other phenomena. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason why B's wrong. But I think it's clearer to see why sole cause is like, nope, that's extra. Too much. Didn't do that. Yep. C, inferring from records concerning a past correlation between two phenomena that that correlation still exists. I made it all the way through that one, um, but still exists makes that conclusively false. Um, Not today. Yeah, we don't know about what's true today. Yeah, it's not like because this was in the past, therefore it has to be. Also, it may actually, you know what? Maybe it's the correlation the, part, actually. Yeah, because the conclusion actually is present tense. It is present. I just reread so, it. Yeah. yeah, so maybe it's not still exists is the problem, but it, it also is um, the conclusion was actually a causal conclusion, and C's not describing a causal conclusion. C just says, oh, so that correlation must still be true. Yeah. Um, it didn't do that. D, inferring from records concerning two phenomena, the existence of a common cause. Uh, goodbye. Mm-hmm. Like where, what? It didn't do a that. A common cause, a third cause. We talked about yeah. that's a potential flaw by going from correlation to causation because something else might have caused both of these right. events. But that's not what this argument did. <laughs> didn't point right. that out. No, no. It didn't say A and B are correlated and so must be because C causes both of those things. It just it didn't do that. E, inferring the existence of one causal connection from that of another. Nope, didn't do that. Yep. It didn't say because A causes B, therefore C causes D. It said because A and B are correlated, therefore C causes D. So there were not two causal connections. So I can read the first two lines of E and then stop reading it. Great. That, by the way, is where you go fast. That's a really important lesson on logical reasoning. Mm-hmm. Like the only place that you should be going fast is just totally disrespecting the answer choices. Uh, eight, they're 80% wrong to begin with. And as soon as they say something that's like off the rails, they're now like 99% wrong. And you just, you don't need to read all of it. The wrong answers are wrong. They don't even have to make sense. And especially because we already know like A fits perfectly. Then when E says two causal connections, not, nah, uh-uh, there was only one. Yeah. Goodbye. Hey, question for you. Do you have videos that just talk about correlation versus causation? I, uh, yeah, I think so. Cause I, I used to do these quizzes in class. Um, those are all in my, my existing soon to be, uh, incorporated into the demon, uh, online class. But yeah, there, there are some videos in there where it's like, Hey, you know, give them a, um, example argument and then talk about different ways to weaken, a correlation to causation argument, yeah. Yeah, I have I have a few like that as well, and I'm thinking that um, our lessons in the demon are, or at least I'm aiming to keep them short and targeted, and I just thought that one of the lessons we should create this week is correlation causation and take. Well, the we certainly we have, have to cover the Mount Rushmore of flaws, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know for sure we've got lots of videos on sufficient and necessary because it's just so hugely important. But it seems like correlation to causation would be, you know, number two. Yeah. So anyways, I'll add that to the, to the course this week. And if you have any videos or Mac can send them over, I'll, I'll take them. So. Okay. Okay. Cool. I think I'll wrap it up there. If that works for you, Nathan. Yeah. 
Uh, if you are on Facebook ever, we have the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. There's 1,500 some odd members there. Um, lots of discussion all the time about all things LSAT and all other random things that seem remotely related. You can also follow us at Thinking LSAT on Instagram. That's probably where you'll get the most event-related information and uh Cool updates from Annalisa, who does a wonderful job there, by the way. Thank you, Annalisa. Uh, you can follow us at Twitter, at ThinkingLSAT, Nathan at NFox, and me at Olson Benjamin. Visit strategyprep.com for classes in D.C. Uh, I have online or live classes and tutoring. For Nathan's classes, go to foxlsat.com. He's in L.A. and in San Francisco. And those classes are all demon-equipped now, right? That's exciting news. I'm so excited about yeah. it. It's so much better. Like, the students are able to go home and just look at their study history and immediately watch videos from both of us, immediately read written explanations. Um, even the work that they're doing in class is just stored in their study history so that when they do drilling, the demon already starts to learn from their results, even from the time sections and full tests that we do in class. And mm. the demon's just constantly learning. Yeah. And so then when they just hit that drill button, the demon's like, okay, well, I'm going to feed you something that's like the right type and the right difficulty for you. And, you know, they can just study at that just right level of difficulty that's most likely to lead to improvement. So yeah, I, I like couldn't be more excited about how that's going to change the classroom environment. Yeah, that's cool. We've been, you know, we've been doing um, the demon on Saturdays uh, for people to take practice tests and I've only had some of the students use the demon in class. It's more like, Oh, you don't have the paper tonight. Feel free to do it on your phone. And a lot of people have started to do that because it's just easier to, carry their phone or their, sometimes their tablet around than to carry a book. But I think I'm going to push people more in that direction as we start to do more and more problems in class and in the demon and people like it. So cool. No, it's a, it's a requirement of my live class now. I don't make them do it on a tablet, but they, they need to have a, um, a, a laptop or a, um, tablet, or I suppose you could use your phone. I think if you're going to use your phone a lot, that's probably not a great plan, maybe just for your eyes. <laughs> but um, you, yeah, the, the students are now just, they're in charge of, hey, bring a device charged up that works with the demon. Fortunately, most devices work with the demon. I mean, it's not like the demon is running high-end graphics, whatever. <laughs> like It's just, it's all text. So yeah. if you have an internet enabled device and um you can if you're not sure sign up for the free trial at lsatdemon.com and just see if your machine is capable of doing a timed section but um we don't hear very often that you know someone's laptop or or tablet or whatever won't run it yeah well, and it, even if it won't it's like okay well it might be time for you to upgrade your shit anyway and we can get you <clears throat> we can show you where to get uh, a tablet that's pretty affordable yeah. Uh, the funny thing about the phone is I agree. I, I've always been a little hesitant about that, but um, for some people, they're just like, well, I don't have to carry around anything except what I'm already carrying around. I'm just going to use my phone in class. I'm like, okay, if that works for you, go for it. Cause it is I suppose mobile friendly, you know, <laughs> people are on it all day, every day anyway. So yeah, maybe it doesn't make any difference. 
Anyways, if you want to learn more about that, go to lsatdemon.com as well as our, our sites for live classes. You can listen to the show in all sorts of ways we mentioned earlier. As always, we love your reviews on iTunes, positive or negative. That was show 206. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for lawsuits.